Ryan, ah, I bet you do it. <laughs> it was my mission, everybody, to make sure I said hi, Ryan, before Ryan said hi, Julie, because he's in control of pressing the button. <laughs> well, you were watching. Hi, Julie. <laughs> Welcome to Environmental Heroes Podcast, everyone. Woohoo! Yes, and uh, we've got a very special guest today. Yes, well, I think we should disclose, um, well, first of all, we'll disclose her name, Mia Swanson. Yes, Mia Swainson. Swainson. Swainson is here to talk to us. Um, I think we should be open about the fact that, Ryan, you are the director of the Canberra Environment Centre and Mia is the chair she of is. the board. Yes, she has been for a couple of years and she's helped me greatly. Um, as you'll understand when you listen to us interviewing her, she has a lot to offer to, to help people be their best. Yeah, that's right. Um, I met Mia, gosh, a couple of years ago now. Um, it was at someone's going away party. And like before I'd met her, so many of my friends had come up to me saying, surely you know Mia. Have you met Mia? You should be talking to Mia. Like, oh, Mia does this. Or, oh, my friend Mia. (laughs) My God, there's this person, Mia, who is turning up everywhere. Who is she? And when I met her at a friend's going away party, I think she came up to me and said, Julie, it's so great to meet you. I've made goat curry here. Eat some. (laughs) Like, wow. This person's like, man, she's got it all together. And she really does have it all together. She's amazing. Amazing. I don't think she sleeps. I'm sure she does. Um, <laughs> but um, yes, as well as um, having a very close to zero waste family, as we'll talk about, she's an environmental engineer, a consultant and an executive coach, as well as, yes, helping us here at the Canberra Environment Centre and also chairing an organisation called Zero Waste Revolution, which is based here in Canberra. And they run a festival every year and they're about helping Canberrans get down to zero waste, which is really exciting. The thing I... Um I really enjoyed about this chat and I've really enjoyed as I've got to know Mia over the years is that she's um, she's incredibly generous with her time and with her knowledge and is also, it seems to me anyway, continuously trying to self-improve. Not that I think she needs to at all, but she's definitely there standing there going, what else can I do to not only have a bigger impact for myself, but have a bigger impact on those around me? Mm, yes, I've learned a lot. Uh, from me, she's been very inspiring to me, and I've been quite grateful for her the time that she's put into the Canberra Environment Centre and the wonderful management committee, including yourself, that she's built around us. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, I think we should listen to what Mia has to say. Let's bring on Mia Swainson. Local environment heroes saving the trees and the bees and doing it daily. Okay. Um. So, Mia, we're starting off with a really big, important question that we think helps to set the tone for what we're going to talk about next. Has there been a defining moment in your life where you've looked at the world and thought something needs to change right now? Wow. I feel like there have been many for me. Tell us about them. Yeah. So, probably the first one would have been when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old, just like as a kid, walking through... Um, a national park, you know, one of our local national parks. And then, um, you know, hearing on the news about sort of the destruction of wildlife and wild places and just thinking, I don't want a future that where humans destroy the environment. I want a future where humans and the environment can coexist in a way that is positive for humans and is positive for our, you know, incredibly amazing, unique, you know, ecosystems that exist on Earth. So, yeah, really early in sort of 10, 11, 12, um, I sort of 
decided I wanted to be an environmental scientist or an environmental engineer so that I could make the world a better place like that. Um, that was really motiv- like really motivating and changing for me. And then I think um, plenty of moments along the way after that, you know, I studied environmental engineering at university and was exposed to sort of all the um, the Jabaluka mine campaign was happening at the time. So, you know, really thinking about Indigenous land ownership and that nexus between Indigenous land ownership and the environment and really are we so greedy that we need to mine uranium? You know, um, do we need it? You know, um, are we really getting that balance right? And then, so that was a real moment in time for me and then I think having children. Mm-hmm. So I'm showing my age here. <laughs> and... Um, and you know, they're so real, they're so with you, they ask you the obvious, the hard questions, the obvious questions, why is it like this? You know, why why don't businesses look after the environment, Mum? Why is it that our environment can be destroyed for economic reasons? And, um, you know, why is climate change happening, Mum? You know, what have you done about climate change? And I think you know, it's really – those moments are really – it's really defining for me in thinking actually I have a really positive view about humans in the environment. I think we can find a future that is good for humans and is good for the environment. Um, I wish we'd done it sooner but I feel like the one defining trait of humans as as a species is that we're great at pivoting and adapting um, and when the problem gets big enough for us, <laughs> we'll adapt – I feel really positive about that. Um, but and in terms of our environment, it is, it is incredibly resilient as well. It's just I think we've, you know, we've got to invest time and energy in that. Yeah. Wow. That's a awesome answer. Lots of defining moments you've had. I, I, I'm really interested in how you said that, you know, the age 10 or 11, you you already were thinking about the, the need to protect the planet and how important the environment was. And then you followed that through by then going off and studying environmental engineering at university. And today you're defined on LinkedIn as a strategist, facilitator, executive coach, stakeholder engagement specialist. But you're also the president of the Canberra Environment Centre and founding member of Zero Waste Revolution. I'm fascinated by how all of that links together. Mm, That's a good question. Um, So with my business work, I help people and organisations make the big decisions that matter. Um, I'm all about efficiency, if you like, and effectiveness. So (laughs) efficiency is in terms of, you know, are you getting to the end point in the best possible route? And effectiveness in you know in terms of do you really know what it is you're here to do? What's the impact you're here to have? Um, and so I'm really passionate about empowering people to be a part of those solutions. Um, and I do do not all of it, all of my work. I do consult to mostly government and NGOs, and and I sort of empower those organisations that are making a difference in that environment and sustainability space and also in the social space as well so I feel like as I've grown older my passions have broadened so it's not just about the environment for me now it's also about like social equity as well as you know that balance environmentally Um, and then of course you know my heart is definitely still there in there for the environment and that's why my um, volunteer work is is really all around environmental 
uh, local environmental community groups. I just love that saying, think global, act local. Mm. You know, it's stuck with me again from quite a young age. Mm. I'd like to dig in a little bit on what you mentioned about having children there and how it changed your thoughts on things. Because you took your family on quite a journey, didn't you, which resulted in a, a wonderful TEDx talk that people can listen to. But um, you pretty much cut out all of your waste for, or you got it down to quite little. Can you tell us about one that? One litre it was, wasn't it? One week equals one litre of rubbish. Yes. yes and that Two is adults, it. three children. <laughs> <laughs> it's a family journey. You're absolutely right. Um, it's not something you can do alone, you know can't sort of be there you could if you were really keen time poor you know (laughs) sorting out this goes to the chickens this goes to the worms this goes to the landfill look on that um i was really inspired by b johnson she's a canadian woman who's written a book and got her own ted talk on zero waste um she managed to get her family of four's waste even smaller than mine for the whole year into a a very small jar Mm. and i thought wow if she can do that I can definitely do better than what I'm doing now. And so we were already composting. We have chickens and we had worms. Um, But the thing that changed, there were two things that changed for us. Um, We decided as a family that we could do better. So it was a family conversation. The kids are on board. Mm -hmm. Um, And we started separating our soft plastics out. So that's a, you know, something everyone can do pretty simple. But we also ruthlessly looked at how we could avoid creating waste. And that's where you get the biggest lift, really. So um, really looking to buy secondhand, you know, where we can. Um, yes, you get a big lift in the reduction of waste and you get a you know a lift to your bank balance as well because you're not sort of um, impulse buying. So we tried buying nothing for um, – we managed three months of buy nothing new and um, – and that was just great for adding friction to every purchase that we made. Um, you know, we had to get a tent in that time because our tent broke and we <laughs> wanted to go camping. And so instead of going, you know, into this MacPack store, I just checked online and then Gumtree had one mm. just around the corner, exactly what I needed and half the price. So it was perfect. Um you know, and from that sort of big purchases to even the really small stuff. So that you can ruthlessly reuse at home and the kids are used to it now. So our, they, I've got three boys and I hope they don't mind me saying that they do break an awful lot of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cutlery and crockery, not cutlery, can't break that, but crockery and glasses particularly. So, you know, we now, we just get our, um, instead of buying glasses, we've just used jam jars <laughs> and it, they actually seem to break less. <laughs> So ruthlessly reusing at home I think is a real, you know, and avoiding that waste creation in the first place I think are two areas that require a bit of a thinking but absolutely I feel like we've had a real mindset shift. I think that's a really good lesson that it's it's not just about um, reducing the waste from the point it's inside your house. It's actually you've got to think of it from before it even gets inside your house. So you're at the supermarket and you have to stand there and go, well, if I buy this – I've got to somehow deal with that waste that it's creating. I have to deal with that plastic bag. I have to deal with that wrapping. I have to deal with that covering. And so stopping and thinking about what you're buying, well, maybe I could go somewhere else where it's not covered in plastic, therefore I don't have to deal with that waste. And maybe that's something that everyone needs to stop and think about. Yeah, it becomes much easier if you separate out your soft plastics. 
because then what's left in a typical so take out so take soft plastics out of your bin and take food scraps out of your bin and then it becomes much easier to look at how you can avoid to reduce waste creation because there's not much left you know <laughs> um, for most households even you know not just ours so I think you know if people are trying to think what do I do it's so overwhelming there's so much waste how do I convince my teenager or my husband or wife to do this or part flatmates um, uh, my th- my one message would be to take it step by step start with something small that's achievable for you and your household um, and if you're looking for steps with a big bang for your buck, the first, you know, ba- big bang for your buck is to take organic waste out of your bin to landfill and you might compost at home. You might use an app called Share Waste, which, you know, connects you to neighbours or just ask your neighbour, do you have a compost? Can I put my scraps into it? Um, or a local, you know, community garden. So get that. So the biggest bang for your buck first of all is to take that food waste out if you've been to landfill the next biggest bang for your buck is to um take that soft plastic out so make sure you're really you know then you can see what's left Mm. yeah you've made it all sound really easy was there anything that was a one particular challenge something really hard on the zero waste journey for your family i think the hardest thing are the conversations that happen between you and your partner, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, when you're like, hmm, I thought we were doing a buy nothing. I think that means nothing new from online shopping. <laughs> <laughs> online so shopping is included. <laughs> keeping each other accountable. Was yeah. Was yeah. 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 I think that's the hardest thing of those conversations that happen. Mm. I think the most nitpicky and I think the most nitpicky annoying thing that my partner would say is the way I wash the soft plastic and hang it out to dry. Mm. Mm. So you can use it again. uh, So you can use it again or also so it can be recycled because you can't – the soft plastic to be recycled needs to be dry um, and relatively clean. Doesn't have – you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. So breadcrumbs are fine. It's about mould. So anything that will go mouldy you need to move off. Mm. Yeah. So I think – I think that's what he'd say is most annoying. <laughs> so you've turned this passion for zero waste into a festival. Mm, we have. Um, we've run two zero waste festivals in Canberra. Um, first one at the National Museum. We had about 800 people come along, which was fabulous. A really um, energised community event with stalls and speakers and workshops, really practically focused. Um, we, had, we went online last year for our um, festival and we had about 600 people come along to, again, a series of workshops and online um, panel discussions, really practically focused again on ways that people could look at reducing waste in their home. I was at the first Zero Waste Festival and you got everyone to bring their old running shoes along. And um, I guess it's just a beautiful example of this idea of minimising waste. They were sent off to a processing company and turned into a chair, which we currently have in our community garden outside there. Yeah, it's really exciting. And actually that um, it's not getting, it hasn't been taken up in Canberra, but there have been a couple of Australian companies who have decided to open um, the shoe recycling in Sydney, I think. So that has... Belcon and Rebel. Oh, Belcon and Rebel. Belcon and Rebel is now doing it. Yeah. Excellent. So you can drop off your old sneakers. Um, 
yeah, I was in there the other day getting new sneakers for a child whose feet just keep growing um, and she wanted to just drop her old sneakers in straight away. And I went, no, you've still got life in them. Like, don't <laughs> drop them and buy a new pair. We're going to use those when it's muddy and we, we're going up the mountain. But, yeah, so I hesitated for a little bit. But, yeah, the um, company Save Our Souls will put a Excellent. link in there. Yes. Sheets yeah. afterwards. But yeah, awesome. It's really exciting. And so we were – that first Zero Waste Festival was part of testing that technology. Mm. Yeah. It was – we um, seeded that idea by connecting um, people who were doing it already and importing, um, importing, you know, recycled running shoes from the UK. And so instead of doing that, we sort of connected an Australian innovative business out of the Aubrey-Wodonga area with um, – with people who were, you know, who wanted to do it and we sort of said, oh, here, let's do this proof of concept. Mm. And, yeah, so that was a – that's a part – a contribution that we've made, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah, it's an exciting way forward, I think, because I guess what you're highlighting and what we're starting to move towards in the ACT with words like circular economy being talked about even by the government is this idea that environment and business can work together. There's a lot of – Julie and I were talking off air before about that there's people acting purely from business motives in this case because waste is cheap and that um, we can start to solve our waste problem with business solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key here is is how localised we do things. Mm. I mean, I'd love to see us develop local economies around uh, around the Lids for Kids program. You know, we're in the Canberra Environment Centre right here where we're recording and I can see some of the Lids there. And, you know, it's I think there is a program that is looking to actually recycle them, like reprocess those lids in the ACT. Um, It's absolutely – it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, absolutely, but it it is something that we need to be looking at for those products, particularly plastics, that don't have an easy, you know, other approach. Yeah. Yeah. You've said um, before, we were talking about your role as a leadership coach – and I've read somewhere that you've said you're very passionate about working with people who are passionate about changing the world. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like I think this is a really interesting um, idea and approach that through your leadership and coaching work, you're unlocking more people who are going to go on this journey with you. Yeah. Um, I So I love coaching. I feel really privileged to, you know, to be able to work as a leadership coach. Um as a coach, I, you know, I take the principle that it's my job to empower people to achieve their goals and whatever those goals might be and that everyone has it within them to achieve those goals. It's a matter of unlocking the right perspective within their minds and helping them to see what those steps might be. Um, and so, yeah, I think helping people to see the potential that exists within them and then to break that down into some really concrete, measurable steps that will help them keep them honest with the change and help them to actually achieve the goals that they have is a lot of fun. So what advice would you give to anyone who's thinking about becoming a passionate leader? Like can you become a passionate leader or is it something yeah. that you're just innately, you innately are a passionate leader? I think if, if you want to become a passionate leader, absolutely. Know your why I think would be the thing I'd say to people, know why you're doing what you're doing. Don't do it blindly. And Simon Sinek's got some fabulous resources on his website. His TED Talk's amazing. But really understand what's your why for the role that you're in. And then work from that why to make sure that the actual everyday is tracking towards it. 
Mm. How do you know that you're tracking towards achieving what you set out to achieve? Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like your why might be a nuance in the organisation's why. So you might work in government for, um, you know, to protect the environment and absolutely protecting the environment might be part of your why. Um, But you might um, be issuing permits, for example. And so within that broader why of protecting the environment, you might it might also be for you about integrity in a system and trust in government, that governments can make laws to protect the environment and that those laws will be, you know, administered fairly and respectfully. So have a really good think about your why, not necessarily just the bigger why, mm. but also the micro why for what you do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we both lived in the Solomon Islands. Mm. We did. At different times. So you were there from 2004 to 2006. Uh, for me, it was a little later. And like, although it sounds cliche, I have no problems admitting to the world that it was totally life-changing for me. Um, was it for you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely life-changing. Um, I was um, had the real privilege of being country manager for World Vision in the Solomon Islands. And so I was the only um, expatriate staff member. And I learned so much from the people. I had about 40 people working for me who were all locally engaged. And I learned so much from them about culture and about community. And I feel like the connection that um, they have with their land and with their communities is enormously special. And I think our culture can learn a lot about valuing people in a way that's not transactional. And I think they learn a little from us about being a little bit more transactional. So if, that, if, that's a, <laughs> if there's a, you know, there's a thing that you can learn from each other, there's always, it goes both ways. But I mean, the thing I learned really was about that value of relationships and connection mm. um, and, and of culture and of how, it, you know, having a nice house means nothing if you don't have a community around you or a family. Giving back to the community seems seems very important to you um, and perhaps it stemmed from that or you, as you said, as you've got older, you've been thinking more about the social side of sustainability. I know that you give at least 10% of your business time to pro bono or low low bono clients um, and you've also, you're also a B Corp, um, which is pretty exciting. The fourth Canberra business, I understand, to be accredited as a B Corp. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm really proud of being an accredited B Corp. Um, I feel like if every business in the world became an accredited B Corp, we would have a so much better place to live. So for people who don't know, can you yeah. just explain what a B Corp is? So um, it's, it's about business as a force for good in the world. Um, and when you go through your accreditation process, they help you to look at um, the whole of your business and how you can um, have a positive environmental and social impact Um, and so they'll look at your clients they'll look at the way you employ people they'll look at um, you know whether you've got good system you know policies and systems at the back end to handle complaints in a way that's fair to um, make sure that your environmental impact is positive Um, and then some metrics and performance metrics around that so um, it was a really great process and I'm really proud of it and I'd love every business to become a B Corp. How do they start? How do you become a B Corp? Yeah. Uh, sign up. Like so they, yeah, you have to pay a fee. <laughs> 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 like all good things. But 
Um, and then they take you through the process of looking at your business operations and working out how you can be a force for good environmentally yeah, and socially. Yeah, it's super fun. There's some fabulous B Corps that are really big retail outfits. It's not so hard to do as a sole trader, you know, with a few associates like my business is. Um, you know, when I when the services that I sell are services, they're not goods, right? It's a much harder to do when you've got goods yeah. as what you sell. But Patagonia's done it. Um, they've, you know, transformed the way their whole business, you know, um, supply chain works. I think Tom and Jerry's might have done it. Like there's some some really big high profile global companies that are just regular companies but are also B Corps. Mm. But beyond that, because I know that you've helped us a lot here at the Canberra Environment Centre, as well as doing your work with Zero Waste Revolution, how would you recommend to other people in business to set aside that time to be able to do it? Because I think a lot of people would probably like to and they feel or say that they're too busy to do so. You've managed to make this nice balance between it. Do you have anything that you could recommend to other people who want to volunteer more of their time? Yeah. Uh, look, I think like... As I said with the with waste, when you're making a change in life, take it step at a time. So pick one thing that you want to do differently and commit to it. You know, make it a really concrete, tangible thing. And, you know, and then more, thing, more will flow from that. I think what people struggle with, and this is what I help people with, with executive coaching all the time, is to people often struggle with what is the first step. Mm. So, yes, I'd like to volunteer my time more. I'd like to make a bigger contribution to the community. A lot of people think that. But then knowing how to go about it, I think, can be tricky. So, you know, usually that sort of stuff starts with actually your network. So I would say to people, if you want to make a bigger um, community contribution, first of all, think about why what you want to do, you know, and why you're doing it. And then to actually make that tangible connection mind your network who do you know who might be able to connect you with that volunteering opportunity that, that meets your why you know who um and then and you don't have to ask them for a volunteer job you might just say do you know what's out there who you can ask someone to recommend that you get in touch you know who would you recommend i talk to if this is what i'm interested in so often that first step is actually just about reaching out to your network and having the courage to say i want to do something differently yeah. Um, who should I talk to? Or if it's environment, come and talk to us at the Canberra <laughs> Environment Centre. <laughs> of course. So many different ways we can use the help. That's the thing about volunteering, isn't it? It doesn't have to be, even though these things are wonderful things to do, it doesn't have to be about a litter cleanup or planting trees. There's so many different ways you can help and offer the skills that you have to, you know, to further the cause here at the Environment Centre or anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we have everyone here, you know, we need every sort of skill you could imagine for running a business. Yeah. As well yeah. as an environmental education program, you know, environmental education programs, you know, the recycler with bikes. We need people who are passionate, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, but I think for others, if, you, you know, if you're not sure what to do, try and work out what the first step is, the micro step. And then if you're worried you won't take it, sometimes verbalising it and talking to someone who'll keep you honest might be a partner, it might be a good friend, you know, keeping you honest about you taking that first step. I think it might be time for our hero questions. I think it totally is. Um, and I think the first one, I'm going to steal the first one. Uh, because I feel everyone will have voted you in, Mia, definitely to be president of the world. So congratulations. You've just been <laughs> elected president of the world. What is the one change you try to implement first? As president of the world? Yes. Mm. 
So this might surprise you, I think. Um, for me, the one change I would try and create if I could, right? Because, you know, you can't control other people. But if you could, it'd be great. <laughs> So as a benevolent dictator. Um, <laughs> yeah, we didn't mention what um, what the world is like when you become yeah, president yeah, of the yeah. world. It could be. Could Mary be. Is the dictator know. of the world. Anyway. Um, <laughs> you know, actually taken over. Yeah, what are you like, doing? So would be really like, so for me, it would be about actually uh, mindfulness and creating, supporting people to create peace in their mind. But I feel like inner peace leads to world peace. And world peace is not just about peace between humans it's also about peace between humans and our environment and so i feel that the first change i would make if there was any way you could do it would be to enable every person to um to unlock the inner peace that exists within them that's fascinating. Yeah. I really like that but answer. I'd love to think of an invite. Can I think – so I, that mm. one I, I, I know and I've known that for years. That's always – you know, since I was probably a teenager, uh, you know, that would be the one gift if I could give it to people. Um, Do I you would. have inner peace? Not always. No. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Do I strive for it? Of course. Yeah. Um you know, and meditation's a great way to sort of create that. And yoga, I do a lot of yoga. Not as much meditation as potentially I should, um, but definitely a lot of yoga. Um, but environmentally, if I could do one thing, it would be about climate change. I would suck all of that CO2 out of our atmosphere. I feel like it's, it's just the biggest, most overwhelming, pressing environmental problem of our time. And of not just our time of, you know, from 20 years ago to the next... 150 years. Mm. Mm. Well, on that note, question two. Yeah. It is 2030. Describe the world you see around you. It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm standing in a forest, looking up at the trees, (laughs) hearing the birds, smelling that clean air, breathing it in. Um the environment and you know we've rewilded a whole bunch of different species um through the experience of the pandemic as humans we've learnt to be a little more compassionate with ourselves and with each other um we've learnt the value of lifting everyone up and reducing inequality rather than going for this spike of super wealthy um and we've we're empowering people to be their best selves so people you know have it have the opportunities to be their best selves through whatever career that might be or whatever livelihood that might be career was very little narrow no i can't Mm. wait for 2030 yeah so that might not so 2030 might you know i'm i'm really ambitious so I'm a strategist in my work, as you talked about, and I'm constantly encouraging my clients to dream big mm. and to start with the best, what you really want. And then we'll bring the walls in and look at what's realistic and look at what steps you will take to move towards that beautiful future. And so I just don't have it. So so I, I felt it's not. it would be disingenuous for me not to say to start with, this is the future I want. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, totally. Sure. And then we'd work backwards from that. And yeah. Say, so what sort of things would we have to put in place today to, you know, what sort of things would have to be in place in five years' time? You know, how might we step that through? Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. So who are your environmental heroes? I know. Um, I have a few. Um, Bob Brown is one of my massive heroes. I feel like he just comes to mind every time I think about environmental heroes. He's an amazing human as well as a passionate environmentalist. He's really smart. Um, I had the privilege of working with him closely in 2007 and he really is as amazing as he comes across. He's a fabulous communicator. Um, So definitely um, Bob because of, yeah, he's a great communicator and he really has been, you know, for Australians I think a bit like the Lorax, you know, like really (laughs) um, speaking for the trees and I think he does that well and he's achieved quite a lot of good environmental outcomes. Another environmental hero would be Christine Milne because even though – you know, who succeeded Bob as leader of the Australian Greens. Um, she was also in the Tasmanian Parliament with him as well. So she is an inc- has incredible intellect and knows how to play the long game environmentally. Mm. And like Bob, she's continued to contribute to the environment movement outside politics in an o- and mostly in an international sense actually in an ongoing way after her time with politics. So, yeah, I think... Christine Milne and Bob Brown, absolutely. Um, So Bob for his communication, Christine for her strategy on it. Um, David Suzuki. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So when I was a kid, he was probably my first environmental hero. Um, I love the way he connects big planet problems and challenges with really practical action. I felt like he did a really good job of that and also – he also articulated the spiritual side of it, environmentalism really quite nicely as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, can I pause there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's your one hot tip for our listeners for being more environmentally friendly or aware? Follow your passion with environmental interests. Like, you know, what is it that really hooks you in? Is it biodiversity? Is it waste? Is it climate? You know, what's what's your passion or is it that you love sewing? You know, and if you love sewing, come to Repair Cafe and be a part of Repair Cafe. Yeah. So follow your passion, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Or, so the, can I give two? Yeah. Follow yeah. your passion. <laughs> and my second would be about, be follow people that you connect with. Ah, so, yeah. So um, if there's someone that you like hanging around with who's into environmental stuff, go do it with them. You know, be part of those ripples. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our last question, what's your final slogan or mantra or quote that you live by that you want to leave listeners with? We have a deep thinking face here. You can make a difference every day through the small decisions that you make every day add up to a really big difference. Turn your habits into environmentally conscious habits and we can absolutely live in balance with our planet now. We have the technology, we have the, you know, methodologies, we just need to change the way we behave and to do that, take it step at a time. Thank you so much, Mia Swainson. 
Yeah, great Pleasure. way to finish. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Julie. The cool environment here.